You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, Bobby Manning here, in charge today. It's gonna to be a different feel. Yo. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna to try to channel my inner John. Green teamer edition, everybody. It's it's no enough of that. It was slander. it was no trending in that direction, Jimmy. After that brilliant third quarter, thirty brilliant. But, Another word that we're gonna use for you, okay? Well, you'll like this one. How about a horrific fourth quarter for the Celtics? Does that fit the bill? On that, your adjective scale? that one is accurate, actually. Yeah, we'll give you that one. Celtics lose 192. Sherrod Blakely is here in Atlanta, State Farm Arena. Welcome in, Sherrod. Jimmy in the what attic. Up, up, up in the yeah. loft. Up in the loft, Bobby. We're, we're classy in 22 here. The loft. <laughs> that's like... Finish that's loft. like <laughs> that's oh, like uh, garbage man and sanitation worker <laughs> or something like that, right? Absolutely. But, um, all about the semantics. It's back all about to the, the sanitation workers out there. That's the word. This is just speaking of sanitation. Super, yeah, cleaning up, right? The Hawks in the fourth quarter and just trash performance by the Celtics and the offensive end and allowing those breakouts on the Atlanta side and turning the ball over on four out of five possessions there and having no offensive rhythm or structure whatsoever there in the fourth. Uh, Tatum. Brown turnover messes uh the dropped rebound i thought emblematic of what was basically another spiraling set of minutes in a key situation in a game and it was it was it was optimistic to start this month to see them come through in some of those moments Sherrod. but this time it was just like the old celtics pre-january you know the minus nine team in the fourth quarter net rating they couldn't score and they couldn't get any stops no, they're, they're, I mean, listen, they're going to be like this for the rest of the season. They're going to have stretches where they look amazingly awesome and then other stretches like we saw in, in the fourth quarter where they're just horrific in every sense of the word. Not making shots, turning the ball over, no flow, no fluidity at all. Uh, and it really doesn't matter what Ime does uh, in terms of the roster. Guys on the floor are not going to get it done. We've seen that. We've seen this movie over and over again. Uh, the only thing, only solace that the Celtics can take really from this game is the fact that it's over. The fact that the game actually came to an end. Uh, they're really, I, I just didn't Damn. feel any, I didn't feel any, it, there's no, to me, there was nothing good about this. Tatum goes five for 17, Jalen nine for 22. Marcus Smart had a pretty good game, 17 and six rebounds. He had a big third quarter. Yeah, he had a big third quarter. And, and I mean, he did his job tonight for the most part. He, he didn't turn the ball. I, I think he had one turnover, uh, I think, all game long. So, yeah, Smart, 
probably the one silver lining if you're the Boston Celtics, but the rest of the team was just bad. I mean, Brown and Tatum, especially you two guys that you look into in these moments, Jimmy. Absolutely, it's 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 a very obvious pattern. We we always we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks when Tatum plays. Unfortunately, the way he's kind of been playing a lot this season, which is missing a ton of shots and putting the team in a hole early on. They lose the game. It's not rocket science. I mean, you can go through all the stats you want, but at the end of the day, if your best player is not playing, you know, up to par, up to standards, you can, you don't have enough talent around him to make up for that. So especially when you, you know, I thought, I thought Brown, you know, kind of, if you look at the box score, he, he filled the stat sheet in ways, but we're not consistently. We talked about the turnovers already. What did they end up with? Like 12, at least something like that. No, they had close to 20. 16 was the final no, I'm, number. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just talking about just Brown oh. and Tatum alone. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, they had a big chunk of the turnovers se- from them. It was seven for Brown, I believe, five for Tatum. Yeah, so there you go. I mean, when 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 you're when the guys that you're depending on to convert on the offensive end are turning the ball over, giving you less than zero, um, you know, what, what are you supposed to do about that? There's just not enough around them. So, yeah, Marcus Smart – did all he could tonight, but he's only one guy and, and he is limited in what he's capable of doing on the offensive end. And it was just a matter of time before Trey Young hit some of those Trey Young type shots that he did mm-hmm. in the game to sort of put it to bed. And um, the Celtics had a prime opportunity here. You're playing against one of the worst, maybe the worst defense in the NBA. You come out of the gates, 20 points in the first quarter, 15 points in the fourth quarter. Ime had enough with like three minutes left in the game. He was like, get these guys out of here. They're not, they're not ready to, you know, they're not, they're not even in the game anymore. And um, I just see this number now, 19% from three. I mean, yeah. this team redefined. Well, they raised their average for the year. <laughs> this That's team, re- this team redefines horrific shooting. And it's one thing to hear the people on TV and on Twitter say, oh, if we make the shots, we'll be fine. To hear the coaching staff say it, Sherrod, you know, when Scal's talking to them in between quarters and, uh, you know, the different appearances that we hear from them, and even Ime this year, his overall approach to that shooting, it's concerning. And so this is, there's a couple different directions we can go here. I want to start with that shooting because I, I keep sensing again and again that they're leaning into this. And Tatum did it too. He had a key switch on Gallinari in the fourth there where he just launched a shot up over him. Uh, you know, a couple passive possessions there from both Brown and Tatum where they're firing up shots in isolation when they could be getting downhill and aggressive like they were in the third. Uh, Scal said this during the broadcast, and I find it interesting, Shrive. What do you do when you have those awful starts? And they started two for 17 from three in this one. Uh, do, you, do you give it up? Do you keep rolling? It feels like their answer to that when we've asked them this year has been just keep shooting, remain confident, uh, keep these guys feeling good from out there, but there have been numerous games this year where they just keep shooting into no end. Well, see, here's the issue. It's not so much that they keep shooting. It's they keep shooting the same types of shots. Typically, when your jumper's not working and the three ball is not going down for you, you have to go back to what I call basketball 101. And we all know when you first start playing basketball, one of the first things that you do is you try to create mismatches and then you try to exploit those There were a couple of instances where just the, the nature of switching, you had Rob Williams being guarded by Trey Young. Now, mm. I, I'm I'm not John Wooden, I'm not Mike Krzyzewski, but I, I'm smart enough to know that if I got a nine guy with a seven four wingspan being guarded by a guy who's, you know, maybe six feet, who's not exactly a defensive a defensive juggernaut, I'm going to milk that. I'm going to work the ball around so I get that matchup, and I'm going to try to exploit it. They, there are a number of instances where they had opportunities to really work an advantage because to me, that's when you look to that. You, when you're trying to get something going offensively, when you're trying 
to establish a flow or rhythm when you don't have that. And it's something that I just thought time and time again, lean on to me the easy route, which is to just jack up shots. You're told as a player, that's how you get out of a slump. You just keep shooting. But mm -hmm. it's not the shots taken. It's the types of shots that you take. And I, I just didn't think they were smart about how they played it. That's what I'm seeing in the fourths, Jimmy. It's just the easy way out. They're not working the ball around. They're not doing the things that they had success with earlier in the game, entering the offensive zone quickly, uh, piling up stops to create those opportunities. In fact, they're shooting bad shots and turning the ball over at such a high rate in those situations that they're making it easy on the other team. And this is what's most concerning to me in these fourth quarters is they aren't just falling apart offensively. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me on the defensive ring tonight in the fourth, but all year, in these situations, they've been as bad as the Knicks, the Trailblazers. Think of the worst defensive teams in the league. That's how far they fall. And you see the body language, too. You see everybody's shoulders slump at once after Romeo hit that or missed that last three on the kick out there. Mm -hmm. I, like, there's just constant, repeated trends. And I see people going at Ime in the comments. I'm still not there with him. But when you see this happen over and over and over and over and over and over again... That's when you start to think, like, what is Ime doing in these circumstances that's not preventing them from not melting down here over and over again? But, but the prob part of the problem, Bobby, is, is that when you look at this game and, and you're just trying to, like, take the green tinted glasses off for a second and realize that they're getting a lot of open shots, they're running sets that are creating those open shots. Ime can't knock down 23.3 point shots. That's not who his job is to put guys in position to do that. Mm -hmm. Tatum missed a lot of open shots. Jalen missed a lot of open shots. The turnovers that we talked about earlier, those two guys had 12 total. The entire Hawks team had 11. So there's so many little things that I I can't attribute Ime to being the reason why. I can't either. <laughs> but I will say this, though. I will say this. The one thing he is not doing, the one thing, and this is unfortunately, it's been consistent. He has not figured out a way for guys to elevate their games. You don't get yep. the sense that, that he's doing the things necessary to get these guys to play a little bit above and beyond their ability. And you don't and like we, to do the whole you don't like to do the whole comparison thing. But when you think back to Brad Stevens' first couple of teams, those guys played above their heads almost every night. That team was not very talented. But they found a way to compete night in and night out. More times than not, they didn't win, obviously. But you felt as though he was giving them a chance to be successful. And I don't know if Ime is doing enough. On, along those lines and part of that has to do with the fact that you've got not one but two all-stars and another and a third player Robert Williams who went healthy isn't that far off from being in that conversation among centers so I don't know how much of that has factored into him not being able to get these guys to elevate their play but the bottom line is this this is a 500 team that has consistently been underachieving all season long and I think that is where a lot of the frustration for fans comes from if this team was, this is Brad Stevens' first team, and they were 25 and 25, people would be calling him coach of the year because that team, talent-wise, just wasn't there. But this team has the talent to be better than what we've seen so far. So the thing about, the, just to piggyback what Sherrod's saying, you know, the thing that everyone loved about Brad Stevens was, you know, like she, like he said, he was able to take teams in a, in a time within the franchise that was, you know, a clear rebuilding effort. Brad Stevens was a floor raiser. He could take the bottom of a team and make them better. But I, I think we – we, I don't know if it was Brad's father, if it was the players from last season or the last couple of seasons, he didn't really seem to be a ceiling raiser. So he could take, he could take you know, uh, a team with low expectations and raise them to, to 
you know, exceed those expectations and make it sort of like a competitive fun team. But when you had a team that was expected to win, it felt like they kind of were like on, they, they were at a point where they couldn't get past that ceiling. And I, now with Ime, we're not even, we're not seeing either right now. And you know, that, that might be, I don't know if that's just, uh, you know, growing pains or, or, or what, you know, it's a completely different team that he's taking over than the one Brad took over and completely different expectations and a lot, but you know, the difference now is the team that Brad was essentially, you know, I'm not going to say fired cause he wasn't, he was <laughs> technically promoted. Uh, yes. That's a Upgraded. story for a different, uh, you know, a different show, but it's a similar, it, it's the same core, right? So how much of that is on the coach? How much of that is on the players? Because at some point, I mean, you can go, you can have a new coach every single year. If it's the same players who aren't, sort of buying in or where you're not tapping into whatever it is to make them tick, then at some point you got to look at the players. That's why I'm hesitant to just go, Oh, this is all Emay's fault or, Oh, this is all Dennis Schroeder's fault. Or, you know, like you no, got somebody's fault and, of the team. And we're going to get to smart in a minute. I, I feel a similar way about smart. And obviously we went mad at over smart in the group chat for much of this game. I, how I feel basically is that he's not the problem, but he's certainly not the solution in these spots either. And I do wonder how he could get propped up in these situations. Because, listen, I, I haven't gone all the way as some people have in saying that if you give him the ball more and you make him the proper point guard and if you just give him the keys, he's going to figure everything out here. But he was kind of uninvolved through that stretch. I'm going to bring in Joe Sway here. He is also down in Atlanta. We'll put the, uh, we'll put the Atlanta crew together. Can you hear us? They wouldn't let me do a show from the club. They wouldn't let me do a show, man. Dude, I told everyone that you were going to be at Magic City for this show. There's a lot of people here tonight that are watching this show thinking that you're going to be coming from Magic City, man. And look at you. It takes too long for me to get there. No. Not that I would know how to get there from here, but. Could have used her. I think it takes too long. I think it takes too long. Yeah, no, Gary Washington Friday. You had no idea. I've never known what the lemon pepper wings taste like. I don't know. Well, hey, man, if you end up there later, you know, just hit us up. You know, maybe just like go live, you know, Instagram live or something. Just let us know. <laughs> for the company, definitely, definitely. Yeah, for the company. <laughs> the company Instagram. So this was the sequence, oh, Josue. It's just mind-blowing what they did here. This might have been the worst fourth quarter yet. There's been a lot of bad ones, but just the way they wasted, threw away, as John would say, let me channel John, neg- negligence for – Ball control. I don't know what his exact phrase is there, but that's how I'm going to describe it. Tatum losing the ball on the baseline with 8.30 to go. Uh, you have a Brown turnover mix in there somewhere on the pass. You got Schroeder driving right in the compeller and getting blocked. Uh, you have Rob missing an alley-oop. Brown charging, smart charging. Brown dropping a rebound out of bounds. And that's it right there, right? That's like four possessions out of five that they turn the ball over, and then the bench rolls in. Like like Sharad just said before you got in, Josue, Ime can't control any of that. There's literally nothing he can do to stop these guys from losing the ball off their legs, driving baseline, charging into guys on the dribble, and dropping rebounds, which was really rock bottom in this one. Yeah, you know, and Ime was asked about that after the game, about playing Schroeder and Marcus Smart together. And his answer didn't make a, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. He talked about uh, the Hawks were going small, where I thought that, it was a bit of a mismatch in terms of the way Kevin Herter was playing. I mean, Kevin Herter, if he wasn't getting steals, he was deflecting a lot of balls out did that? Did Hawks- that matter? I saw people complaining about that on Twitter, too. Did the lineup that was out there matter at all to the result? No, no. 
I don't think it mattered, yeah. but I I was surprised that he did play both those guys. But at the same time, I was you needed too, some offensive bit. production. You needed some sort of flow, and I think he just sort right. of hit the emergency button in that sense, but not not in the sense of completely changing things and going away from the game plan. So I mean, you can say that he could have did things differently. Maybe you would have saw. Maybe some people would like to see a little more Pritchard in this one because uh, Brown and or excuse me, Smart and Schroeder each had uh, two fouls in the first half. But I mean, does it make a difference? I, I don't. I'm not quite sure. I mean, we see a different result if, if you if you were to extend the uh, the, the minutes to, to, to more of your bench guys. The hell's going well, on? Well, I, I I think Ime went into this game with a very clear approach to how he was going to play guys. Like Pritchard was not going to play. Uh, I think that was that was the the cinematic yeah. of the game. And, you, and Schroeder was probably going to play less than normal. Uh, but it got to the point where they real you know Ime realized. I gotta try something. I need to lean on guys who I who I trust, and whether we want to acknowledge it or not, he trusts Schroeder in those type of situations a little bit more than Pritchard. Um, it's very he, obvious, yeah. Yeah, and, and so it, it shouldn't be a surprise that he went to Marcus and and Schroeder there because again, the way they were playing, it's not like he's looking at his hand and he's got nothing but like low, you know. It's like playing, you know, twenty one, and you got like a, a six and a four. What the hell are you gonna do with that? You're gonna play whatever the hell. <laughs> Gonna play whatever the hell is on the oh, top. Oh, you're gonna of the hit, man. Obviously, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you're gonna play. With- I mean, you're gonna hit. Right. There's no strategy. There's no strategy with that. You and just play. Did- you play the cards you're dealt. And he did mix and match throughout the game in successful ways. The small ball between the third and the fourth stopped that Atlanta bench run that killed the Celtics in the first half. Uh, you've had. Basically, Langford helping this awesome defensive effort in the third quarter. And this is what kills me about this one, Jimmy. That third quarter, I don't know what adjective I used to describe it in the group chat, but it was resilient. I think that's a fair one. It's, it's some of the most resilient play from we've, we've seen from this team all year. Uh, they completely shut down Atlanta there, worked their way back down from 15 at halftime to within, I believe it was three at the turn of the third. And then just nothing from there. Not a single play in the fourth quarter to, you know, maybe Smart answering that young floater. I thought Smart was great in this one for the third consecutive game. But he just didn't have the opportunity. And that's, I guess, where I'm going to turn this next is Smart. I thought he was just outstanding in this one. And in the fourth quarter, I hate to go in this direction, but he doesn't have the ball. I'm going to say what he said after the Chicago game. He's just standing in the corner. He's not empowered as a playmaker in that spot. And he, I thought, in this one could have been a solution to some of the issues that they had there in terms of playmaking in the fourth quarter. All right, just want to remind everybody about our exclusive wagering partner, Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond bet online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action in 2022 new year and new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit just use the promo code clns50 to get started from football basketball hockey boxing ufc your vegas favorite vegas casino games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available in 2022 bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports bet online where the game starts once again that promo code clns50 to get a 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit i think sometimes i think sometimes people lock into the fact that Marcus is not the greatest shooter in the world, and even on nights when his shot is falling, they still fall in that lazy narrative that he's not a great, he's not a good shooter. There's certain nights, and we've seen this time and time again, 
for Marcus Smart can be one of your top two, top three shooters on the floor. I thought tonight was one of those nights. I thought yeah, he was been like he was recognizing mismatches and exploiting them repeatedly. And if he wasn't exploiting them for himself, he was creating opportunities for others. And and guys just did not get it done. And down the four in the fourth quarter, you know, you've got to I think have a, a bit of self reflection if you're Jason Tatum, if you're Jalen Brown. If I don't have it going, if the other Jay doesn't have it going, but someone else does. That's what else needs to be the one that we turn to that, that we need to really follow. It's on them, right? This is. is another thing you know I don't think done? people Yeah, go ahead, Jimmy. It's it's on it's on them. It's also on Marcus. It's also on Ime. Who's steering the ship down the stretch? We've go, we've gone over this a hundred times. Who's steering but the J- ship? And Jimmy, that's part of the problem. Are they, are they, like, are, like the Hawks score. Who's in like is there any direction? Is there any, like if Marcus Smart wants the ball or if he should be getting the ball like that should be it like there should be some communication out there it shouldn't be marcus smart standing in the corner or it shouldn't be people screaming about uh, why isn't marcus smart directing the offense right now like if idiots like us can see that you can't tell me that the players can't see that or email can't see that so it's like we've been saying this all year there's no direction there's no captain figuratively literally <laughs> steer the ship into port when you need to park this thing and, 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 you know, get the win. I don't know how many analogies I can make to make it clear that like, there's just nobody or no direction. So part of that is if you want to blame email for anything, it's gotta be that there's gotta be some sort of understanding of this is how it's going to roll here down the stretch in this situation. This is what we want to see. This is who we want running the sets. This is where we want you to be. If it's just freestyle mode, then you see what you see tonight. So like well, this yeah, is, this, metaphor this, is not an analogy. Thank you. This is this is what happens when you have leadership by committee. Uh, you have games where when you need someone to kind of step to the forefront, everyone is looking at the person to their left, the person to their right. But the problem with that is no one is stepping forward. Everyone is just looking around. No one yeah. is taking the bull by the horn. And I, and I think you know for Marcus Smart, I think it's a really it's a delicate uh, situation because I think he wants to be that person, but he understands that this is this is still the, the Jays team, and the Jays sort of kind of want to be that person but part of understanding with the lead is also understanding when you need to step back and follow the troops that have been following you and this was a night where jason and Jalen, i think really should have made marcus smart that guy for them down the stretch because he was the only one that was showing signs of having it. they didn't have it and it happens it happens to all the great ones they're nice but you, you just don't have that Jesus. was it stubbornness be... well I, I think it's part stubbornness i think is it's it their view part... towards smart do they not that's, see him yeah, as a solution there? I think that's a, that's probably part of it as well, which is too bad because I think there's a lot that they can take away from him, particularly on nights like this where they don't have it. Uh, I would agree with that for sure. And, and that's so what we can't answer still. You read different things about the team's view and certain people's view of smart within. There's certainly people in there that love him. There's certainly people in there, as we read again and again, yeah. you know, dissenting opinions is Joe Sway's – crazy image uh, scares uh, scares the kids in the chat <laughs> there we go he's back uh, you know it's hard to tell who feels what type of way about smart but when you see him in these situations coming through and he's just sort of boxed out in a fourth quarter after he was i thought superb with shot making with playmaking with rebounding that awesome box out on capella pushing the pace down the court, doing these things from the first through the third quarter, I felt like. And then seeing him completely uninvolved, I'm sure that's not Ime. I'm sure Ime's seeing 
what he's doing through the flow of the game before that. So you look to Tatum, especially because Brown doesn't have the ball in his hands outside of his bench unit minutes. It's Tatum who's in full control in the fourth quarter. And I have a lot of gripes from Tatum out of this one, not only from the end of the game where he was obviously a disaster, but the beginning where I thought uh, Onyeko Okongwu, who's just this awesome center, young center for the Hawks, completely manhandled him defensively in the post. Came from the weak side, blocked his shot. Tatum didn't even see him coming. Uh, you know, deterred interior penetrating. And overall, Tatum was just trying to go right at him instead of moving him in a different direction and creating some second-level drives. And those are the type of things that Smart can see and can do on the drive and on the dribble mm-hmm. and with the ball in his hands. But Tatum still doesn't really have that skill set in terms of commanding and flowing the offense right now. Yeah, no, I mean, that... go ahead, go Jimmy. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, agree. I, I agree with you, Bobby. I, I feel like we've seen this from Tatum a lot. His offense dictates his entire game, his entire mm. personality. His like, defense. His defense, everything. He's, you know, he's – I think, you know, I, I obviously I'm not there, but I, I think I saw him kind of, you know, focusing on a missed call at one point, and that's typical. And I, I do wonder if that affects his just mental out there. You know, you have to be in the zone. This is the NBA. You know, you, this isn't – you can't just rely on talent like you could all throughout your career. You know, you have to be fully engaged at all times, and the best players are. They don't take plays off or games off. They don't get sidetracked by something that isn't going their way. And I don't know. I don't have the answer for exactly what it is that's causing him to struggle the way it is. But clearly, I think some of it is mental. I thought this quote, and you hit the nail on the head there, Jimmy. This is what Ime said after the last win. Everybody kind of follows, and this is is kind of an interior view of the mood of the team based on whether Tatum's succeeding or struggling. He says, everybody kind of follows Brown and Tatum's lead. They're buying in on both ends of the court, guarding extremely yep. well, then carrying over from the last game offensively. That was great to come out and see. Uh, they're the two pillars and leaders come out and play with that intensity. Everybody seems to follow suit, blah, 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 blah. And that was more of a positive view of it. And this is sort of the other end of the spectrum when they don't come out and do all those things. Everybody totally. sort of wilts around them. And you saw it against Portland a week ago too. When those guys weren't getting it done in the fourth, from a playmaking and just execution standpoint, Romeo was missing shots off the ball and Grant had a terrible game. And it's the same story again here. None of the role guys were able to contribute off of them because they weren't on their game. Yeah, but also, Bobby, I, I, I feel like the Celtics, I mean, when it came to them getting into the teeth of the defense and doing that kick out, Atlanta was ready for that. Like they did their homework. They were they did their game plan, you know. Jalen Brown was in intake, right? They were both able to get into the paint, but they weren't getting anything at the rim. There was a, a rim protector there. As soon as they would turn out of a double team or try to pass it out, it was either Kevin Herter or someone else, you know, guarding the uh, the, the, the wings, and it would turn into a turnover or it would be an off-bound pass, and all of a sudden there was five seconds left, left on the shot clock. So I thought something just kept grinding it out, you know? I thought the third quarter was solid in the fact that they kept staying in it despite the fact that they were shooting so poorly. And then fast forward to, you know, later in the third quarter, or I should say in the fourth quarter, actually. And I feel like the Celtics were getting into that desperate mode where they're like, they need a bucket, they need a bucket, and they always start to let up on defense. And that's exactly when Trey Young got hot. That's exactly when you saw that, what was it, 17-2 to run by the Hawks. And the game was over just like that. It happened so quickly because that's how good this Hawks team can be on offense if you let them, of course, right? If you let their defense, if you let them capitalize on their defense, but not knowing that, but you give them that rhythm that they had pretty much throughout and really get this crowd rocking in that fourth quarter. 
I mean, let, let's let's be uh, honest and, and give credit where credit is due. The Hawks are playing some of the best basketball in the NBA right now. They've won six in a row now. Uh, they've got DeAndre Hunter back in the fold, and he's again to me, he's one of the keys to that that team really making some noise. Did they play position. at that level in this game, though? I didn't feel like they were that no, great tonight. They, they, they played. They played solid. They were solid. They were not exceptional. But the, the problem is this: when you have the kind of momentum that they've got with five straight wins. You don't need to play great to win because you've got that confidence in you that you're going to find a way to get it done. And I thought defensively, I thought they were pretty steady and at that end of the floor pretty much the entire game. What's the, the atmosphere? What was the atmosphere like in there? Because during that Knicks meltdown, I could feel the crowd pouring oh, down man. on them. Well, the, the, the crowd, crowd was – Go ahead, Sarah, you no, <laughs> The crowd I thought was really good. I, I, and, again, Atlanta historically has not had the most uh, uh, engaged – fan base, but I thought from, from beginning to end, those guys, the fans were very much into this game, which is good to see. Uh, Let you, me ask you, the other important question. Pretty, mu- pretty, much, pretty much ever since Al said what he said about the crowd, I feel like yeah, they, they, they stepped their game up. Ever since they their was, game up. Was, there, was there a bike watch moment tonight? <laughs> we, I, there was a bike on the court level, but you could not see it. And so uh, you, didn't, you, you, you didn't know if it was on the bike or not. They hid the bike. He Heading Nobody was on my seat. Yeah, heading up to my seat, I could see it, but when I got to my seat, Out there's of the no public hell. view. Yeah. So. <laughs> this is this Very is the the clampdown on access continues. No more right. bike view for. I mean, this is why we're here. What else are we gonna talk about after every Go, game? It's the reason why we go. Yeah, going back to what all you guys kind of commented on on, on what Emay's comments were, is how the team kind of goes how Tatum and Brown go. We talked about that for a bit um, a couple of shows ago or maybe last show, and I, I used the quote, attitude reflects leadership. and I Demeanor. You know, I, I stand mm-hmm. by that like wholeheartedly. I, I, I love that quote. I think it means everything, and it's true. Um, You've talked thing, a lot about that, Jimmy. And there, there, there's, there's Tatum Brown. There's two other players on the team somewhat capable of, of cracking the team. I don't know what's going on over in one of your, your guys' uh, rooms. But anyways, Smart is capable of doing it. And I think Schroeder, tiny bit, kind of is capable of doing it because of his skill and his ability to sort of spark the offense. Nobody else in the team is capable of taking the reins when Tatum or Brown um, are, you know, feeling off or whatever is going on with them that they're just not showing up to the game. There's nobody else really out there. And if and Smart can do it, he wants to do it, and he will do it. But if, but it's two things. It's one, he's limited in in mo- most ways offensively. He can only do so much on the offensive end. He still does need. Tatum and Brown to contribute. And two, like you guys said, if if those guys aren't buying into what he says, if they've tuned him out like they tuned Brad out, um, then it's not going to work. And same with Schroeder. I mean, I think I think Schroeder is more gifted offensively than a lot of players, and he can do a lot to sort of try to get somebody in gear or get the team in gear. But it still falls on those guys to sort of piggyback off of somebody else leading the way. If if Tatum and Brown can't do it every single night. I guess that's understandable. That's asking a lot, but they need to be able to at least provide secondary, second, third. They need to, they need to come in huge at some point, whether it's late in the game or whatever, so that we don't continue to have these fourth quarter meltdowns, right? And that's what they are. They're, they're lack of execution, lack of so many things, tenacity, um, heart, effort, whatever word you want to use. Um, I don't think it's an effort thing this year. I saw that last year much more. You know, this I, year... They're still I, playmaking. I mean, Brown and Tatum all over the boards. But yeah, in the key spots, I think 
the attention to detail wanes and that can end up looking like effort like they're not mailing it in they'd be getting killed if they were mailing it in they're not getting uh, you know, they're this, not they're not mailing it in but first of all they do get killed in in the in the, in the key situation yeah, yeah. Um, they're not mailing it in. I, you know, there's there's not many professional athletes that mail it in unless there's a contract issue or something further than further going on. But I just think that when you become discouraged, you give up, and that's another word, I guess, of saying. And he may have said that. He he has said that throughout the year. Uh, letting offense impact defense is usually how he puts it. And you, we see that happen a lot with this group. Uh, which is which is is really sad because that's not how this team is built. That's not how that they have been able to you know make deep playoff runs during years where they weren't expected to do much other than just show up. Uh, and and it's it's disappointing. Uh, and to, to, you know the earlier point about Marcus Smart and, and leadership and things like that, he is the most equipped of all their players yeah. right now to be a leader. Totally. Uh, and it, it's 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 frustrating that the one guy who has been here through all the hard times, through the good times, who has kind of has a certain toughness and resolve about him is the one guy that you're not it's screaming scary. at the top of your lungs to be your leader. Because the thing about it is this, right now, when you're doing this leadership by committee bullshit, which is what they're doing, yep. this is what happens. This it's is why when, when, this is why when Ime was talking about having captives at the beginning of the season, I thought it was a great idea. Uh, <laughs> and, I, it, and to me, even if guys are like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if I want to be captain, too damn bad. Yeah, you, you throw them in the fire. You you listen, this is one of those things, times where you throw them in the, you throw them in the deep end of the pool and see if right. they're sick or swim. And Ime knew what the especially especially your two all stars. Especially your two all stars. Exactly, you exactly. don't think that maybe you don't think that maybe he was afraid that I was going to be like, oh, one of them's going to buckle, <laughs> or I don't know. Maybe he thought that that. You would know be, what? I mean, if he, looking back on the, it, he should have. He should have though. The the amount of time that he spent getting to know them during the Olympics, the amount of time that he is game planning as an assistant, he knew what he was dealing with. Whatever yes. concerns he had from a leadership standpoint, those it's not like the, all of a sudden that just kind of manifests itself once he became the head coach. And this so, is why the the email uh, blame game has been unfathomable to me because he he's as well prepared as it comes. Not unfathomable. There you go again. We're working on this. We are working well, on this. Well, listen. He he pointed out all the issues in the preseason, whether it's leadership or the Jays playmaking or their defensive issues from last year that we saw and just all the different things that he's hammered down, ball movement, the assist rate. It's all the same things that have played out this year. And he's drilling them again and again and again. But in the key situations, they lose those habits. It's discouraging too because they're at the flows of the rest of these games. And we talked about the net rating all week and where they're at in the league from a start to finish standpoint throughout games. They don't do it in the key situations. And that's what matters. And that's the gap, Jimmy, as we talked about in the group between the people who say, look at their numbers. They're doing fine. They're trending in the right direction. They're just losing a couple games in the key situation. Well, it's like, well, there's one quarter that matters a lot more than all the others. And that's why their record is what it is. Exactly. It's a mental thing. It really is. Well, if that's the case, I think Ime's doing a good job because he's keeping things into perspective. I mean, before this game, after shooting around, what did he say? Yeah, we're 500. I mean, we won two games in a row. That's not a winning streak, you know? There's no there's no need to pat, pat ourselves on the back. Let's just see if we can keep it consistent. And I think at the end of the day, he said that because he knew what he was running into, you know? This is the Atlanta Hawks. This is one of the hottest teams in the NBA. This is their house. They know how good the Celtics have been. They know how good Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been. 
And I feel like their defensive game plan was to capitalize on those guys and take away their options. And the Hawks did a really good job doing that. Now, I credit the Celtics because they didn't get discouraged in themselves and start jacking up shots. Or maybe to a certain that they did in the fourth quarter. But the first three quarters, they, they grinded it out. They got I the thought that third line. quarter was excellent. And then I they the just threw it away. Right. Yeah. Four minutes. To, you know what, Bobby? Four minutes into that third quarter, the Hawks were already in foul trouble. I'm like, look at the Celtics. They're getting to the free throw line. That would that, that was almost never happening. A couple but it's ago, all for right? nothing. Especially, especially when they're playing, um, you know, playing uphill. And it was all and for it, nothing, right? Because in that fourth quarter, the Hawks still had a big lead going into it. Oh, not a big lead, but uh, that that right before the uh, the big the big seventeen to two run, uh, mm-hmm. the Celtics finally got it down to a, what was it, a double. Um, it was a two possession game, and, and then that seventeen to two run buried them, buried the Celtics. And this is this is what I wrote for CLNS after those two wins. It was nice to see them check some boxes, the different things they did well through those games. But the big things, and two that I really highlighted were, of course, the fourth quarters. They had that one win against the Pacers that I guess you can feel okay about uh, against the G League team, essentially. Teams that they were losing to before that they finally got over the hump against there. So that wasn't really an issue that they solved through some of their success through winning at 7 out of 10 before this one. Um, but at the same time, something you talked about, Joe Sway, it's simple to stop this team. And I almost think every team should do it. Just watch the film going into it, and I think pretty much everybody knows this at this point. Joe and B tweeted about it. If you pack the paint, if you drop your center, if you have any semblance of a rim protector, the Celtics aren't going to be able to get inside. They're a pretty poor mid-range shooting team, and they're going to shoot quite a few threes, and they're not good at it. So unless they get this remarkable night like they did against the Kings and they did against the uh, team that they played prior to that, whoever that was, the Suns, it's going to be bad. <laughs> No, no, the the one before the Kings there. Who'd they beat? Um, whatever. Doesn't matter. The two straight wins coming into this. They hit their threes. Uh-oh, and then coming uh-oh. into this, they can't find an alternative. It's yeah. simple. You just drop your center, take the pain away, and the Celtics are essentially dead offensively. And everything else flows away from them from there. Now, they can beat a Kings team that doesn't have a strong interior presence. Um, they can play well against those teams that they can body That's inside. The Wizards, the Wizards. Yeah. that was the one before, yeah. So yeah. that's the difference right now. They're playing well against Bobby. the teams that they can get to the paint against easily. And a team like this, Atlanta, that defends the paint, as you talked about, Josue, they're dead. Yeah. yeah, they did a really good job, too. So there they are. I mean, another horrible loss. We're rocketing toward the trade deadline. Heavy says that they're active in talks, and there was a couple interesting rumors over the last couple of days, mostly at a Bleacher Report, our uh, good friend Jake Fisher, who I've had on Dome Theory and is all over the place at this point with the rumors, um, talking about a trade that these two teams almost made. And this takes us back to Smart, sort of as the guy that can be dealt as, as the most valuable available piece. And in some ways, the things that they need, whether it's organization, passing, the things that he's good at, that the Celtics need him to provide and that has allowed him to become I think one of their better analytics guys this season just because of the drop-off when you lose them so you're talking about a trade here that these two teams discussed Jake said uh, not clear how close they came to pulling this deal off this of course was before the Knicks acquired Cam Reddish for Kevin Knox in a first rounder uh, but something was on the table that looked like Marcus Smart going to Atlanta solving some of their defensive issues secondary playmaking issues, bench problems uh, potentially there, and the Celtics getting a shooter, a sensational shooter in Kevin Herter, and 
a guy with some shooting pedigree and cam who Jimmy, I know you were very upset that they didn't kick the tires on and they weren't mentioned in a report originally as right. being interested in him, but clearly they were, and they're in a much bigger deal. Like I said to you guys, I'm glad that they were at least on the horn about it because it tells me that they are at least active and looking to find ways to get creative and improve this, in my opinion, very stagnant and boring uh, situational you know, team that we're in right now. Um, so I'm happy to hear. I'm obviously not happy to hear that they couldn't get anything done. But, you know, obviously Herter's still available. Collins is still available. There does seem to be uh, smoke, maybe. I'll say maybe maybe there's a little smoke there. And they could uh, figure, you know, who knows what's going to happen before the trade line. Something could be there in the works. I still think there's a match to be made. Um, and so, again, I was happy to see – or to hear that they were involved in the talk, it tells me that maybe Brad's at least um, interested in what the hell's going on or somebody over there. Just wait, he's where you thought he was. Just wait, he might actually be at Magic City after yeah. he's got the green screen behind him, dude. He's got the There's green screen behind him. Yeah, thank God, because he's got. I think. I think the. I think something. Somebody may have just taken the stage based on what I just sure. heard over there. Sherrod, <laughs> who do you think said no here? Because that's where I'm interested in. I think Atlanta. I think they did. Uh, right. Kevin Herter, uh, you look at the way this Atlanta roster is is just structured. Uh, they've got such a they're, – they're, they're showing signs of being a really good defensive team, which we knew they had the potential to be. But offensively, they can hit you in so many different ways with weapons, and, and Kevin Herter is one of them. Uh, I'm a big Kevin Herter fan. I've been a fan of his going all the way back when he was in college. Uh, I just think he's just one of those guys that you can plug and play him in any, any line any roster. Uh, I, I think he's, he's one of those guys who's kind of like a borderline starter, super sub type. Uh, and the way that he, again, he competes. That's the other thing, too, that I think often gets overlooked with a guy like him. You look at his shooting, uh, and I think he is, is a decent playmaker, but he competes defensively. He's not going to win many of yeah. those, but he's not going to back down. Uh, there was a sequence where, you know, uh, Jalen Brown was just actually giving him the business. And the next thing you know, he comes down, he drains a three. Uh, defensively, uh, physically taking on elbows from Tatum and Jalen Brown and all that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. just bounce back up, ready to play and compete. So, I, I like him a lot, and obviously the Hawks do as well. Would you Would you consider yeah. a trade based on? Would you guys, both of you guys, Sherrod and, and Josue and Bobby, would you guys? I know Bobby's answer already. Would you guys consider <laughs> a trade that involves Smart and Herder? I mean, I, I would. I would consider I, it. Yeah, I don't know if I'd pull I would, the trigger on that. But I would definitely, absolutely consider it, though. Okay, what would you do? I would say, yeah. On, honestly, the first thing that crossed my mind when I read the report was the Hawks must have said at the end of the day, it was like, no, you know, they must have thought about it long and hard. And I don't know. I mean, I, not to say that I would have been shocked if the Hawks pulled the trigger on a deal like that, but it would have clearly been one of those, you know, you let's just do it now. Smart kind of fits with them, though? Like, smart next to oh, no, they, they, was like a pretty does. good. He, he, he does. Issue, yeah, the issue He's exactly who they need. I, I just think it's the two players, the two for one that would that was kind of surprising. Yeah. Right, right. Maybe. But if you can do a, let's say, okay, that deal, that deal's gone now. Like Herder's still available, Smart's still there. You know, you know who I'm looking say at? They're, Collins. They're, they're, they're the main pieces in the deal. Is that is that something that you guys would would be cool with? Straight up, gotta, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the thing that you got to keep in mind though with the Atlanta Hawks. Okay, they just got DeAndre Hunter back. Who? Newsflash is really good. 
really good versatile defender. Didn't shoot the ball particularly well tonight, but I mean, he's one of those guys that has the, the talent and ability to guard one through five if necessary. He's that talented. When you've got a guy that has that kind of switch knife versatility defensively, like and then you add, you know, let's say, Marcus Smart, you add a smart to the mix. I don't know if you're going to be elevating your uh, your organization, particularly when you take away a guy like Herder, who's a very good shot maker. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, competes hard. So I, I can understand why the Atlanta Hawks want to keep their core guys together, at least through the duration of this season, to see if they can build right. off what they were able to do last year in the playoffs. Because, again, they've had, like everyone in the NBA, they haven't had the kind of continuity because of health and safety and injuries, illnesses, all that stuff. But yeah. we have seen this team in their core when they're at their best, they are one of the best in the NBA. So, yeah. Plus, Herder is one of those guys that just always has his hands up. I mean, man, that's a that kind of effort. If you're the Hawks, you're like, let's let's see what what we can do with this. You know, Let, let's see how far yeah. we can go in the playoffs and then reassess come you know the off season. But it'll be interesting to see if they're if, if they're if they're trying to um you know bolster that roster before the trade deadline between now and then because the way things are rolling right now. It's going to be tough for them because obviously guys like, you know, Herder and, you know, Hunter, you know, those are the names that are going to be mentioned in trades and maybe they're not quite ready to part ways with those guys. They're in an interesting spot because they'd obviously prefer to trade Gallinari. That's a guy that doesn't, they don't really have much use for right now. Bogdanovich is only a slight step up from there. So that's big money between two guys that they would love to dump off on someone. And maybe the Celtics, as shooting starved as they are, would be willing to take on some of that. Of course, they have their own tax restrictions now that we're talking about. Uh, limiting them in that regard. So you're you're looking at a move like this, I think, to reduce costs. Because I just looked at Herder's extension. It's actually smaller than Smart's per year. So you would be saving a little bit of money each year. You address the shooting issue in some way. He's only a 37% three-point shooter, which is way better than Smart. Uh, but it doesn't single-handedly solve your shooting issues there. You're not going you know to single-handedly solve it, though. No, yeah, you have to address the, it in the a ladder. but deeper. <laughs> Here's the tricky thing, though. You're giving up the guy among your core that has the most value and the only untouchable one for just one small piece of addressing the issue here, and you lose something the defensively. What? The only untouchable what? What are you talking about? Out of all your core, let's say, four players, the only guy who's not untouchable is smart. Oh, not untouchable. Okay. Yeah, it, it yeah, Jimmy. I, I thought he said, uh, Jimmy. I thought I thought he said the same thing too. I was just. Like, I think he did. Why? I think we got a peek inside what he really thinks for a second there. <laughs> no, but here's here's the point I'm trying to make. And and Freddy Reddish is slip. involved. I know what you're trying to make, that- Bobby. You, you have one. You have one chance to trade smart. You have one you shot. Sure you- was yeah. that a Freudian slip? It Maybe. Was. No, I'm just saying you, you can't be too loose with letting him go. You have to make the right deal because that's your one shot, as Jimmy just said. So the deal I've loved for a long time that I'm going to press the Hawks to make as hard as I can if I'm Brad is to give up Collins. Because is Collins a point guard? No. Is he a defender? Lord knows. No. But is he a better player than Marcus Smart overall? Slam dunk, yes. And that's the kind of move I think you have to make for Smart. The Hawks get something different than Collins that they need. The Celtics get something different than Smart that they need. Uh, you still kind of have holes in two spots if you're those teams, but that's what a trade is. You give up a little bit on both ends and you get something that you need and maybe the mix is better. Because, listen, let's not talk like the Hawks are completely solved here. They're still outside of the playoff picture in the East. This guy's owed a ton of money. Uh, I love the idea of Collins in Boston, especially playing next to Rob. 
Listen, that sounds great. I don't know how you're going to convince the Hawks to do that. Collins is, has to be regarded as a more valuable player well, than Smart. I know yeah. people. He gave, he gave something to business. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's be let's be real. I mean, Bobby, be real. I mean, like, no, no, no. You know, GM is going to make that trade. I mean, you'd have to include some other things, I guess. I mean, it, I think it would really have well, to be the money, where yeah. they wanted to get rid of Collins. Like, talent-wise, Collins, of course, is better than Smart. I think people need to understand that a herder level type player is probably in line with what smart's going to bring you. Um, you know, he's not an all-star player. He's never been one. He never will be one. Um, you know, he, he's very good at what he does, which is, you know, provide some intensity on the defensive end, heart attitude, all those things. Not a great shooter. Never was, never Sparkiness. will be, but offense is more valuable than defense. We'll all, we'll all say it here. Bobby hates to admit it because he loves talking about defense. But guess what? The Hawks are one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA, and they beat you pretty handily tonight because shots were falling. And same thing with, you know, we're talking about a guy like Herder and a guy like Smart. At the end of the day, I think most teams are going to want the offensive player. So that's kind of the level of player that you're looking at. And is Herder going to solve all your issues? No. But if this is a deadline-type deal, this season's a lot. This season's over. You don't. doesn't matter what, what your team looks like. If you can get a player that – that you think can help you next season, you go and make that make that deal, and then you use the off season to try to solidify things and make it make sense before the season starts. I don't care what they look like the rest of the season. If they can if they can do a deal at the, at the deadline, it's going to set them up for next year, in a way. And and I think that has to be the mindset. I mean, when you look at this Celtics team, clearly they need a playmaker. They could use another big. They can use some depth at the wing, and whatever they, if they can adjust one of those key areas between now and the trade deadline, you do that as long as it doesn't devastate the salary cap and put you in a bind where you can't necessarily make moves in the offseason. So they're going to have some options, but it's, but again, it takes two to tango. I mean, it, it, you can put together the greatest deal in the world if you're the Boston Celtics, but if you don't have a partner, it's useless. So it, it's, we can we can talk about the offseason and what might come. But what we know right now is a guy like this is potentially available. And I said this last year, too, because they never Um, really – yeah, they never really wanted to sign Collins, it felt like. And then they eventually – he played so good in the playoffs that they were like, all right, here's the max. They gave him this massive deal. And now they're kind of in a cap bind here. I just think you're in an advantageous position where, yes, maybe you have to give up more than smart a pick. Maybe you have to give up multiple picks here. But this is a guy who's young, in his early 20s, is locked up long-term – and could potentially increase your talent core on the roster significantly and continue to grow into the future. Maybe Smart's not the guy they're looking for. This could be a deal where the Hawks say, let's 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 get Brown here. And I think we've heard that in the past too when it's come to Collins' conversations. I, I just think that you can't get too greedy and look to the future and say, oh, we're going to have these other options available to us in the summer. When something like this that can really improve your team is something that you can go all in on. And right now, I felt the same way about Sabonis. I felt the same way about, let's say, these B-level stars. They're not Beal, they're not Levine, they're not these guys that are going to transform the franchise, potentially. But you don't have a shot at those guys anymore, in my mind. I just don't think you do, given the trajectory of the team, given what you have to give up, and given other destinations that these guys could get to, Philadelphia, Golden State, all the rest. So you're looking at, a B-level big three guy. I don't know if it's a Collins, is it Sabonis, is it one of these guys? These are the guys you really have to consolidate to go in on, I think. Yeah, but Bobby, you're naming people who you may 
says a B-list all-star, but their teams are hoping for them to be A-list. You know, or they think they're on the verge of being A-list. Or they think that they're already there and then well, why are they going available, their beginning then? stages. If they get just blown to, away, maybe? Yeah, I mean, just think, doing their, teams doing their due diligence to see what the value's like, you know? I mean, if you're a team like Indiana, I mean, you, you felt like you've been, you're, you've been so close the last couple of years or so. Or, I don't know, the last three years, two to three years in one way or another. You felt like you were, were almost there. So I, I think they're doing a good job of just seeing how much value the rest of the league you know, values these guys, but guys like Sabonis, man, you know, like that's a, that's a, he's a future perennial all-star. I mean, if, if that's not the case, you know, 70 years from now, I think within the next two or three years, Indiana's one, they're going to try to find that out before they, they go ahead and deal him. And even if they do think about making that deal, if any team that looks at the Celtics, they're looking at their two all-stars, Bobby, you know, especially if they're giving up one of their pillars, one of their centerpieces, they're not going to, they're not going to just, you know, accept smart and a couple of picks, you know, and say, all right, well, that's the best you guys can do. No, they're going to keep it moving and that's another team. Right. So, Rod, they've been a team that's been kicked around with, and this is where I think the Celtics are going to run, run into some trouble at the deadline is this Ben Simmons situation. Sure, if the Celtics are going to throw Brown out there, these teams are all going to listen. If not, then they're all looking at Ben because would you rather have Smart or Ben Simmons? It's it's kind of a no-brainer there. If, if, you know, the Hawks could flip Collins for Simmons or the Kings could flip all their stuff for Simmons – this is going to be the domino that decides everything else and really dictates what the Celtics can get done here, I think, is whether or not he moves. And today, the signal from Woj, and you try to read the tea leaves, right, Sherrod? Like, who's trying to send what message here? The Kings are out, apparently, according to Woj. They're saying, we're done. We're not doing this anymore. And, you know, that's something that the Sixers have tried doing, too. You know, we're not going to send them out unless it's for the top 25 player or whatever, so don't even bother throwing this other stuff at us. In my mind, this is still Philly posturing, and the Kings are just trying to get some amount of leverage back over them because they haven't been interested in doing a Sacramento deal. Um, but if it's not, and they could, or if it is, and it's potentially Philly able to do, let's say, uh, Simmons and Harris, who the reports have said Sacramento is willing to take on for a healed Barnes and I don't know whether it's Fox or Halliburton. I don't think you can go wrong either way if you're Philly. That, to me, is a deal that, sure, you're not getting that big, big-time player if you're Philly, but, wow, you're dumping Harris, and you're getting all these shooters back, and you're getting a potentially star guard from Sacramento back. I don't think they're going to ever do better than that, in my mind, even with this Harden stuff floating around. Yeah, I agree. From the, from the very outset, Sacramento was the one team – that made the most mm-hmm. sense. When you look right. at the asset that they have to offer, when you look at the fact that most teams are going to be reluctant to give Philadelphia an all-star caliber player for a guy who has a flaw to his game that isn't necessarily because he's not good at it. It's because he doesn't try to get better at it. Um, that's why Sacramento, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm struggling to understand why Philadelphia does not, be more aggressive than that, other than just posturing and trying to, to squeeze as much as they can out of them. But I listen, I, I think this is just part of the process. I think this is part of Sacramento's plan uh, to... I see what you did know, there, Toronto. I still think they're the team. I still think that's where he's going to wind up. That makes that, the most sense. Getting rid of it Harris's does. massive contract alone is such a win for Philly if Sacramento's willing to take that on. They're playing hardball yeah. right now. I wouldn't be shocked if they, they come to a, you know, they, they agree on a deal within the next couple of weeks. Because if you're Philly, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, like, the, the fact that the Sacramento Kings are 
willing to take a chance on this guy. I mean, and, and you know, all the weapons that they have, whether you're talking about shooting, whether you're talking about a, the, another point guard, I mean, the Kings have always been sort of that team that we've discussed because not only do they have the weapons, but they have the market that would just welcome a guy like Ben Simmons. I mean, they're going to, regardless of, of how things go, people are going to come see, see those, see those games. People are going to go see Ben Simmons, you know. They haven't had a guy like that or, or, or someone that could, um, you know, a two, three-time All-Star in quite in quite some time, and at the end of the day, if you're the Sacramento Kings, you you, you take a risk on a, on a All-Star point guard, a veteran point guard. I mean, yeah, it's a big risk in someone like Ben Simmons, but what's the alternative for the Kings, right? I mean, they're in the wild, wild west, just trying to compete and just trying to make the playoffs. Bottom line is the Sacramento Sacramento. Uh, give me, let me just jump in real quick, and I'll yeah. shut up. The bottom line is is this: if if you're Sacramento, this is a deal that First of all, it gets you attention, other than the fact that you're just a horrible organization. It actually gets you positive attention. You add a player. Some who, defense. Who is going to give you some defense, which you have lacked forever and a day. And for Ben, you don't have the pressure of winning a championship. Hell, you can go out there and be a mediocre 500 team, and they will put a damn statue up of you at some <laughs> point. Um, that's how bad they are. And, 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 and for Ben. Don't bring you back know, the cowbells. Yeah, and, and for Ben, you know, he can continue to, like, you know, get in clutch situations and pass the teammates because he doesn't want to get fouled. And no one's going to trip about that in Sacramento right. because right. because they're just happy to have him in town. They're happy that they're getting some buzz because of his presence. Uh, that's why, to me, Bro. I don't think there's another NBA city, city that has the assets that should intrigue Philadelphia and is willing to put those assets on the table like Sacramento. It, to me, it's a no-brainer if you're Philly to do that deal. So let yeah, me, let me say, if it's true, if it is actually true that the Kings are like, nah, we're good. This is actually the lowest moment of Ben Simmons career in, in many low moments, because you're talking about a franchise that literally breeds losing. Right. And like, they have every reason. And they're like, nah, we're good. <laughs> if they're like, nah, we're good to you, bro. Like, that's it. Like, Call it a career, man, because you can't really come back from that. But that that goes to show how bad it's now got for Ben Simmons is that the Sacramento Kings are being like, you know what? We're just going to lose forever instead of, like, taking a risk with you, bro. Like, we're, we're actually good. And honestly, there is a little bit of a risk there because if you are the Sacramento Kings and you really do want to kick that image that you are just, like, the worst franchise in professional sports, not even basketball, but like, honestly, they're up there with one of the worst franchises. I, I, I feel bad saying it because I'm sure there's a lot of good fans and I like they're down there. They're about to hit, they're about to break the NBA record for years in a row missing the playoffs. Right. And, and, you know, there might be an aspect of that to the Kings where it's like, why do we want to bring on this guy? That's pretty much disliked by everybody at this point, players, fans. I mean, you guys are acting like trading for him is going to be this big boon to them, but I don't know, man. I, I think a lot of NBA fans are completely out on this guy right now. I mean, he has no competitive spirit, apparently. Um, Shaq ripped him yesterday, which I thought was pretty on point with what Shaq said. It was basically like, listen, all great players get criticized, you know, and, and they all take it like men, and they get up the next morning, and they get to work, and they go out there, and they try to pro prove people wrong. And Shaq used yeah. Shaq used. Joel Embiid is a perfect example. I mean, who's been harder on Joel Embiid than Shaq and Charles Barkley on TNT? Can you name me one yeah. player that they've been harder than? Maybe Dwight no, Howard yeah. back in the day, but like right now it's Joel Embiid. <laughs> what does Embiid do? He goes out there, he drops 30 points a night, putting the team yeah. on his back, keeping He's six. He's been unreal. Standard. And what a, what a disrespect to him that this drag out's been doing. Get him some help. Right. Get so him a championship like, team in right. place right. this year. 
but it's like what what is really going on with Simmons? I I'm not going to pretend to know what's going on in his in his brain or in his personal life, but if you're the if you're the Kings, it is a massive risk. Even though like it's like oh, what do they have to lose? It's not a massive risk for the Kings. They have nothing I to think, lose. We just saw them lose by right. sixty. Well, I just made yeah. a. I just all they do is all they do is they lose. Something to lose. That could that could set them back another who knows how many years. And I know that I went on the show last year and I was like, oh, Celtics should at least pick up Jimmy, the phone on on Simmons. It's hard to be. But now Jimmy, it's I, hard I to be set back when you are the back of the pack. Yeah. It's hard to be set back when you're already there's, there's, and that's there's literally no behind you. And, no, and you I get what I'm saying. You can really, you can really, you can really, really. If you're I'm Sacramento, sure you don't want to get the back of the pack, you know, like, and they could really hurt themselves by trading anything of value. I mean, like we said with the Celtics, it's like they have one shot to make this trade and do the right thing. And if they blow it, then there this there goes the next four or five years. So I'm sure the Kings are thinking the same thing. Now, that being said, yeah, they have less to lose. But it just goes to show how ugly it's gotten for Simmons. And I will. And one other thing, and maybe this has nothing to do with it. Maybe the Sixers aren't doing it because there was another rumor that came out, or a report, if you want to call it, that they have their eyes on James Harden. I Brooklyn. don't understand this one. Now I'm buying it. Well, this has to do more with it. I, I can kind of understand it, but I'm I, buying I mean, it because I think a lot of credible people have, you know, endorsed it and talked about it seriously and. It said it's a real possibility that Harden could jump ship and go to Philly in a sign and trade there. And Simmons always did make some sense for Brooklyn. We thought it would be Kyrie. I guess now it's Harden yeah. that would be swapping there. Yeah. I just don't know how, if you're Brooklyn, you just let Harden walk to Philly. At some point, if you're a team, I know the agents have massive pull and these stars can do what they want. How do you allow Harden to just blow you off if you're the Nets? Walk to your rival, your main competitor there, solidify them as a champion possibly, and you're taking this Simmons flyer that you have no idea. You haven't seen him play since 2021. Uh, I don't know how you do that if you're Brooklyn. And that's a, that's a card that the Nets can pull. They have to do the sign and trade. You do that if he has told you he's not coming back. You right. do that if he indicates to you through the, either directly or indirectly that this is it. I'm, I'm done with this. Because at that point, you're trying to salvage whatever you can of a relationship that has clearly run its course. And what better way to salvage that when you, when you can get a 23, 24-year-old defensive-minded all-star who's 6'10 point guard? It I does mean, make it, a little sense. <laughs> I hate it, I mean, but it does. I, I, yeah, and, and Bobby, that's how I feel. I, I hate it, but I can understand if you're Brooklyn, if it came to that. Now, I don't think it's at that point. I still think he wants to play this thing out in Brooklyn and see if they can win a championship. Because remember, the whole point of him coming to Brooklyn and was he can to do win that. Yeah, yeah. And, and and so I, you know, Philadelphia but, I think is more intriguing because of the success that they're having with Joel basically being a one man show, and the guy that put way more money in James Harden's pocket than any human being imaginable if, is running. If that's the show, on the table. So. I kind of get Philly waiting this out. <laughs> If you can get this done in the summer, it's a massive risk because you could you could make a smaller deal now and win a championship this year. But if you're pairing Harden and Embiid, which is crazy enough, what we talked about a year and a half ago when that whole Harden ordeal got going in Houston and Simmons would have been going down to Houston, if they just end up getting traded for each other in the end anyway, <laughs> that would just be insane. But it does make sense. Pair Harden and Embiid together. That would be like Kobe and Shaq almost. Like the, the best thing sense. Wonder if yeah, but why? Why would they do that though? Like, if you're Brooklyn, like, why 
give your division rival or whatever that sort of asset. Like, I, I feel the same way, Joe Sway. It's just I've seen like the teams fold in these situations when the players say, this is where I'm going, get it done. And Simmons, I guess, is some kind of compensation for Brooklyn because then you have Kyrie, right. Durant you, you, doing all your scoring, and Simmons is the third wheel passing. You do it like like Sherrod said. You do it if you think Harden's check if Harden is done. You know, if he's sick of Kyrie and he doesn't know if what's going to happen with them. You do it if you if you get somebody in Simmons's ear and you get the vibe or the idea that he is you know still capable of being the old Ben Simmons and still willing to buy in because because Simmons would be a great fit for the Nets just like Harden would be a great fit for the Sixers. You know, all things being equal, I bet you those two teams would probably like to make that trade, right? So. Um, I, that's why I think it makes sense. And what I also wonder is how vocal has Embiid really been in what I would consider would be an extremely frustrating situation, unless um, Embiid is in on the understanding that, hey, you know, if you let this play out, we're going to get you a guy like Harden or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I guess we'll find out if, if you know, the trade deadline comes and goes and nothing happens. Maybe we'll hear from, from Embiid in another way. But I feel like. He's just been kind of business, way more business-like than I've seen him in past seasons. Maybe that's just maturity or whatnot, but I mean, because firmly in the MVP case, and if I was a betting man, I would have bet on him um, with some decent odds a, a few weeks ago because there was always that possibility that he could do what he's doing right now, and he wasn't, he hasn't been the front runner or even in the top couple players all year. So, I mean, what he's doing right now is is awesome. And you know what else he's doing? He's putting himself as like Philadelphia's number one athlete. And that's a place you want to be in Philadelphia. You want to be, be loved by that city because we know what it looks like when you're on the opposite end. And what it looks like is, you're, you know, you're holding out, you're not playing. But what does Ben do when the deadline comes and goes and he's still there? Is he just going to sit at home till Probably. What, October? Probably. Like that's who he is, man. I mean, he's I mean, that's, probably. Feels like that's, that's something that could – that's something that could, and I've talked about this. Like we don't know what Simmons really is anymore. It's been so long. He just keeps sitting out till October, and the word is like, uh, you know, who knows what kind of his work ethic is through all of this. Like, who is Ben Simmons in October of next year? Whenever he's gonna show up again to a team? That's what I'm saying. That's why I think the Kings are like, well, wait a second. Maybe we, you know, as as much as we do lose, we don't want to like lose 80 games. Yeah, I mean, that should be worried. <laughs> Men should be worried about that too. Uh, it is crazy that it, yeah, this has but become see, a real conversation. But that's the big that's the big difference between trading to a tra- trading to a team like the Nets and trading to a team like the like, like the uh, Sacramento Kings, right? There's so much pressure with one team as opposed to the other one. And I think Ben Simmons is the guy right now that needs to go to a team like Sacramento and sort of rebuild that that confidence or whatever that's missing out of him. But I'll tell you this much. Going to Brooklyn is not going to solve that. It's not going to solve his late-game execution. It's not going to solve him being afraid to take layups when there's three minutes left in the game. But he won't I mean, have granted, to. He won't be, granted, he won't be could asked. Be, could be a better role. He won't be asked to score, but it still doesn't say that he won't buckle under pressure. And you think guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to be patient with someone like that? I, I don't think so. I find that very hard to believe, especially two guys who – It's they, a good fit, they, they both They both won, okay? They both won before. I, I don't see them having, having – um, having patience with someone like like Simmons. And I definitely well, see them being way more demonstrative uh, of, of, of a teammate than, than guys like Tobias Harris and, and, and Joel Embiid. I think Joel Embiid had more had more patience with, with Simmons than, than those guys would. 
It's interesting too because you you do have problems with each of these guys. Josue talks about those with Ben and fitting in. Like the Nets haven't done the best job making all these pieces come together, and of course, getting role guys to help out too this year has been a disaster for them. Uh, and then you look on the Philly side. If you're getting Harden at this age and he wants a new contract, and he's in the physical shape that we've kind of seen him over the past couple of years, you know, Philly might not be getting that Houston Harden here. You know, and all of a sudden, that's another hit to Embiid's career. And Embiid has just kind of had the worst luck career ever when you consider what he's put in uh, from his own perspective, missing the first two years, going through the Simmons ordeal, years, uh, you know, going back years, not just the last year, what happened there. That's been an ugly fit and odd pairing for a while now. And they're just going to continue it, I guess. And I, I don't know, people asking in the chat, what's the Celtics tie-in here? You kind of, I said it at the beginning, you're just kind of stuck. If everybody's focused on this and everybody's just holding and waiting for this to be the domino that falls, you don't really have a move to make if you're the Celtics. So Jimmy could be right. Maybe that herder one was the thing to shake it up. I don't think so, but it, it does sound enticing being able to get that shooter, a young guy who's locked up long term and that flyer and reddish, which I didn't love, but I understood why some people did. Is there a, is there a situation where the Celtics are interested in Simmons? Gerard, Josue. No, 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 not, 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 I just not, can't see it. He's not built for that city, man. Wouldn't cost, obviously, wouldn't Tatum and Brown would not be part of the conversation. But if there was a situation right. where you could acquire him, maybe it costs you Rob and whatever to make the money. You, know, you need a lot to make the money, but to be completely honest, smart would probably have to be in there. I um, would trade everything but smart or. Everyone and I don't think it's quit. enough. You know, we know how Maury's approaching this. It's brilliant. Well, I know that's us. what I'm saying. Like, I, I, even though you guys wouldn't do it, I don't even know if this, I don't think the Sixers might not do it. So, Maury has played this well. It's frustrating. It might blow up in his face, but to go from nothing to potentially getting Harden is, and, you know, they could have had Harden to begin with. I don't think he was there when that was the situation. They probably would go back in time and do that and be in a much better place. Uh, but if they still, in the end, end up getting Harden out of it, that's impressive GMing from Maury to basically go from teams asking for Simmons for nothing to being in a place of power there where he can just pull Harden back this offseason by sheer will. And that would be a victory. But if he screws this up and Embiid doesn't win a championship, considering what Embiid is doing right now, oh, that would be despicable because Embiid is doing everything he needs to do right, right now to deliver a championship. You know, he just doesn't the have the help. Best years of his career, he's had some major, major injuries. He's, you know, who knows how long he's going to be playing at this level and being completely wasted. And, man, it's, it takes a lot of balls for Ben Simmons to, to do what he's doing just because – just because Doc Rivers hurt your feelings in a little press conference after you completed, <laughs> and then they had to be made to like, feel bro, bad about it. Bro. That's really that's literally what that's that's exactly. Check what yourself, and it was man. true. Like, it was all true. He was horrible. Dry your eyes was... and get out there. Come on, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> what, we like, can talk you... about we can talk about thigh bulls, miss layup, or whatever it was, the free throw, and this and that. Simmons took two yeah, shots in seven you know, four quarters. That. You but know, yeah, presser, he, was like, he was like, he was like, hey, Ben, ben spot the lie. Like, would you want me to, would you want me to lie? Like, come on. 34%, 34% free throw. It was, do you it think was you're historic. a championship point guard? Do you think you're, you're a championship point guard? Like, what do you think? Come on. Like, and I'm still going to hold it against there, them, man. Like, right. you, can, you can, you can literally prove everybody wrong. Just, you got to get right. on the court to do it. 
I'm so. still going to hold it against him for not going to play for Australia. Uh, what are the Celtics looking at for the deadline? I don't know what Sherrod's here and anything else right now, but the two things I was looking at on Celtics blog today, I wrote about second drafts, like bowl, bowl that we saw already. Bobby, oh, sorry and to cut you off. Real quick, though, you you had an article on another. On CLNS. On CLNS. Bobby, I don't think you, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it, but you, have, you had a trade proposal. For Ricky Rubio. Yes. And I don't know if that's going to get the people because going. one blown but... ACL. Trading for one guy on a blown ACL isn't enough. You want them to trade for a second guy with a blown ACL. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, what did we say? We were like, yes. oh. We were like, Bobby, oh. Bobby you... never thought about it like that. He never yeah. thought about it. <laughs> could you go I like get... your thinking here, but go on. I like your thinking. Could, could you could you go get a guy like that? And it sunk because Cleveland cashed in on him, and he helped Cleveland, and he was great gluing together everything there. And it was like, oh, geez, the Celtics should have made that move. Well, oh. he's hurt now. He's out till December, torn ACL December 29th. But the Cavs are looking to move that contract so you could get his bird rights. You could clear out Richardson and Schroeder, who would help Cleveland immensely as they're trying to make that push. This would effectively be a sell move, obviously, on this year. But you, it's the one way. I'm looking at all these Shiraz, different deals. Shiraz already holding his head, man. I don't, I don't no, I, I, I understand <laughs> it. I get why people are going to roll their eyes. I got to get out of here. I get why people are going to roll their eyes at this deal. He's like, but these clowns. Let's, yeah. say, let's say the goal Wow. Let's say the goal was to clear the deck and get these young guys minutes like we're hearing. And, you know, we've debated whether that's actually their plan. Say that's their plan. They want to get Romeo, Neesmith, and Pritchard all the minutes they can. Well, that's how you match money on Richardson and Schroeder hand out the door without bringing anybody back because Rubio's injured. All of a sudden, Romeo, Pritchard, Neesmith are playing 20, 25 minutes a night because Richardson's gone and Schroeder's gone. And maybe you get a pick out of it. I know they have Houston's second-round pick, which is 33rd overall. So that was my deal. The 33rd overall pick right now in the draft next year. Uh, Rubio, who's a free agent that you could potentially keep for Schroeder and Richardson. Bobby, I hate it. I'm just you gonna, hate just, it? I'm, I'm just going to cut straight to the chick. I, I hate it because don't I, don't, I don't think it helps you in the short term, obviously, because he's out for the rest of the year. I don't think I'm comfortable – putting my chips in the table for a guy who's going to be 13, 32 years old coming off an ACL injury, who, by the way, has a ton of miles. Because if you remember, when Ricky Rubio first kind of came onto the scene, he was kind of Luka Doncic before Luka was Luka Doncic. But what are you giving like up? That, You're not giving up that much dude, there. That right. dude's been balling since 16 years old, since he was 16. Yeah, he really, he really, and, and, and he had so much hype where people thought it was, he was a little underwhelming coming into the league, but he really is a super talented yeah. point guard. And Sherrod, the think, reason why I don't hate it, no, I'll let he's you probably finish. he's probably like he's probably like thirty five, but whatever. I'll let Sherrod finish. <laughs> Spain's not keeping track. Go ahead, Jimmy. The reason I don't hate it is because you're not giving up anything that matters because theoretically Schroeder, Schroeder's gone. Yeah. Um, and what was the other player? Oh, Richardson. R- Richardson. So like, yeah. I think I like Richardson. I really do, and I think that if you had a really you know strong team, he would be an integral part of it. You don't though. But you give yourself a you give you put yourself in a position to get a player. If you want to keep Tatum and Brown, you really truly want to build around Tatum and Brown. You need a player just like Ricky Rubio, who's going to get them the ball, is going to distribute, is going to be the the guy who runs the offense that everyone wants to see that happen. And he is going to be up, so, My yeah. only hang up, and Bobby just hinted at it, is when's he going to be back and how healthy is he going to look? I, I'm not like it's not like an ACL where I'm. 
you know, you can come back from an ACL now, which I'm not, I'm not concerned about that, but it's more of a timetable of when and how long it's going to take. I don't want a Gordon Hayward situation where he comes back in the first year is completely like, you know, a shell of himself. How long do ACLs take the, these days, uh, Sherrod? I know it's different it's, for everybody, it, but it, it, it's different for everybody, but it's more complicated yeah. and involved when you're older. Uh, mm-hmm. And as I mentioned, he's going to be 32. And let's just assume it takes a year. So he comes back around December. Then you've got the time that he has to ramp up conditioning wise yeah. and all that. So you're probably looking at him coming around and playing sometime after the All-Star break. So let me get this straight. We punted on this season, and the guy that we punted for isn't going to help it's, us. We're going to have all of our season a year from now being like, we need to punt on this season and trade Ruby. Yeah. So it's how, heavy. How, much, it's, it's, how much help is that going to provide Jalen and Jason when the guy that is supposed to help them isn't going to be around until after the All-Star break? I, it's That's some heavy all- Kings vibes. It's Bobby, not all about – well, you take a step back. Risk. Maybe, maybe you fall that's deep some, into the lottery. That's, which some, that's, some, that's some shit that Sacramento would do, okay? <laughs> would it be the it. worst <laughs> Would it be the worst thing in the world yeah, to slide back yeah. a little bit this year? It would not be the worst thing in the world. But if I'm going to do something like that with the facts that I just laid out to you, where you could potentially be looking at a guy who doesn't come around until after the All-Star break. No, I would think me, you'd like – I need like to get first-round pick. After the All-Star break, that's a long time. I need to get a first-round pick. Which I'm asking, I don't think you'll get. Well, the tricky thing is Cleveland can flip Rubio's contract with a first for uh, Eric Gordon, who they're looking at, as well as uh, Karis LeVert, two mm-hmm. guys that they could potentially acquire. And that would obviously better, be better for them than Schroeder and Richardson. But say right. Houston says no to that and uh, Cleveland or Indiana says no to that, all of a sudden, you know, Schroeder and Richardson could help Cleveland off their bench. You know, oh, we, they've it, seen it them coming off of – for them. Yeah. So, and, you know, you – the Rubio thing, look, it'd be great if Rubio could pan out here, but if he doesn't, you get to see your young guys for the rest of the year. You get a much better pick. Who knows? Maybe it's like top 14 in the lottery there if you fall out of the playoffs. And you finally figure out what you have in your young guys. So Neesmith is either going to prove it or lose it. Romeo certainly. And Pritchard is going to have to kind of be making a statement by the end of this year too. It's everything we've kind of asked for at this point out of this season. Otherwise... I don't think you're buying that much at the deadline this year. I don't think enough's going to be available to be worth buying. And you listen, they keep talking about selling Horford. Who's taking Horford? That massive contract right now. So yeah. it's Schroeder and Richardson. I think this is the way to get the most that you possibly can for Schroeder by packaging Richardson with them. It's not a perfect deal, but I think it's a creative one, given where Cleveland and Boston is at. Okay. Okay. Let's get okay. it done, Brad. I'm calling Brad right after this. All right, Bobby. All the, we want all the we want all the um, season-ending injury players. Bring them all over here. Yeah. Brad, don't uh, bird rights. Give your bird rights. Can we get Jamal Murray in Denver, please? Yeah. Oh, I actually, mm. I would. That's a that's a player I would take a risk on. You yeah. see what I'm saying, that's Jimmy? A, that's a great that's a great torn ACL right there. Yeah, well, that that ACL <laughs> that ACL I'll, I'll gamble on right there. That one's coming we back. We didn't make anyone feel any better about the Celtics by the end of this. That certainly isn't – I don't think I'm going to be yes, racking up Bobby. the – They didn't exactly make us feel better about the way they played, so we're even. Yeah. Do you think that trade piece is going to be racking up the views for us? I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> uh, it's not the most right. exciting trade idea. I'll give you that. Probably not. But it's realistic. Anyway, <laughs> Joe Sway is going to get on the New Orleans. He's uh, yes. heading right re- – Right on the Pelican Celtics tomorrow night. So we will be back. We'll cut this one off. I got a question for Joe Sway before he goes. 
What's up, Jimmy? What you got? Is that a homemade mask, bro? You got a girl or something that made that for you? And like, you better wear it on the show or something? Like, what's going on? Looks like a a sheet. The one that I usually rock, the snap, I had to go to the store. And these guys had like these. Did you get that Michael? Arts and crafts or something, dude? (laughs) Yeah, as soon as I get on camera, I'm taking this thing right off, man. Yeah. yeah, bro. It's too late. Check man. out that's that. It. That's forever now. It's on the internet. It's forever. It's like a hot air balloon you got on your that's face. That's going to be your new Twitter, damn. Twitter avatar. Oh, damn, Sherrod. Yeah, Sherrod, you were sitting next to me the whole game. You couldn't tell me? Yeah. I, I tried not to. I, that's why. It, I didn't say anything to you, man. I could have sworn Sherrod somebody made that for you. It was like, you better wear it. I you wear Sherrod Gary was like, yo, look at this dude right there. Look at him. <laughs> that's what y'all was laughing about. <laughs> yeah, we were. Not going to lie. Check out we that were. trade piece, clnsmedia.com. But it's huge, yeah. I love it. And Bob, yeah. Celtics, Celtics are 0 1 since you shaved the stash, man. What what happened there? You just a little mental breakdown. You're like, I gotta shave it. Sometimes I go for a fresh start. You know, I'm not feeling 100. percent I just go for a full shave, fresh start. It's kind of like <laughs> okay. a it's yeah. it's it's a little thing. You know, it gives it I makes you feel you. like you're starting fresh, clean yeah, slate. It looks. But good. it'll be back. It'll be back oh, very in, quickly. Okay. Just in time for the storm. There you go. Yeah. There you go. How's it oh, looking well, up there? Hey, Gerard. Oh, jeez. Here we go. 15 minutes of snow talk. Here we go. No, Shroud wasn't living here in in, in in 78, so he isn't really – I don't know if he has any – 2015 oh, was pretty bad. He's a oh, yeah, I saw that. I saw that seen, tweet. seen plenty of snow in his day, dude. He's seen plenty of snow. I was going to say, Jimmy, I grew up in Syracuse. Don't talk to me about snow. Syracuse yeah, is exactly. way worse. <laughs> exactly. This is, this yeah, is a Syracuse S. This yeah, is a Syracuse S storm coming. Yeah, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. They see these. They see these storms like every three weeks. So it's yeah, nothing. I'm, I'm saying a prayer. All the boomers that are watching the show tonight from the New England, I'm saying a prayer for you because if this storm is bigger than the blizzard of '78, I don't know what you're going to talk about every winter, all winter for the rest of your life. <laughs> but that's all I hear from the boomers. Oh, this is nothing compared to the blizzard of '78. Oh, or- you, you should have been there. In, you should have been there in 1978. Oh, you should have seen it. I don't know what they're more gonna on, talk about after this. More on that. Well, with fingers the Jimmy- crossed, man. That is not bigger than the blizzard of '78 for their sake. Uh, we're gonna revisit this when John's on. John knows something. Oh, John John was, about what else, John? All about it. John was like 30 years old during the blizzard. More of that on the Jimmy John podcast tomorrow. CLNSmedia.com, uh, CLNS social channels, Joe Sway, keeping uh, everybody up to date on Celtic CLNS and Instagram and everywhere else. Uh, check out Sherrod on Full Court Press on Bulletin, where he's covering the NBA at large. And we'll be back tomorrow, 7 o'clock, a little earlier tomorrow, 7 o'clock tip between the Pelicans oh, yeah. and Celtics. We'll see if I make it. I do not have a snowblower, so I'm going – Oh man! Back and legs and shovel on this oh, one. Oh wow! You know <laughs> that's a mistake. I live in the I city. I don't, have, I don't have. I don't have to see a shovel tomorrow. I'm good. Bobby, Bobby, got to take that. They're gonna have to. He's got to get ice down after that one. They're gonna take the ice it's, bath or something. This is no, gonna accelerate. Gonna, the move anything out for but sure. ice after that. Dude. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. See you guys. Adios. <laughs>